Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Out of the gates and ready to go. Outkick 360 underway. Glad you're with us. Monday edition, plenty to recap from the weekend and to preview for Super Bowl 57 out in Arizona with Chad Withrow. I'm Jonathan Hutton. Chad, good afternoon. Good afternoon. We will be in Arizona, Yes, we will. I am looking forward to that. Dan Dockage will be with us in 20 minutes. Looking forward to recapping some big headlines, including uh, with Bayheim over the weekend. Duke Carolina was another game that you would expect these two to have. Jeff Fisher, former NFL and now former USFL head coach, will join us in studio in hour number two. And Dan Mullen, former head coach of the Mississippi State Bulldogs, Florida Gators, and we'll find out what he's up to and discuss some quarterback things going across college football and the NFL. Dan Mullen with us in hour number three. A lot to hit. Chad, uh, there was no hitting in the Pro Bowl to begin with. That's why they changed it to a flag football game. And you were surprised with what you saw. I was very skeptical that this was going to be anything worth watching. Um, I, I thought it was a better alternative than you know a supposed tackle football game. That's a touch yeah. football game in full pads. But I was blown away. I, I really enjoyed it. Found myself watching a lot of it over the weekend. And I think it's a much better alternative than what they were doing with the Pro Bowl game. Like I said, a touch football game that was played in pads. Uh, the flag football part of it, I, I thought, was was pretty cool. But I think blending everything together was was really neat. Um, it was a good television product. I thought it was a sort of a weird environment to watch on Sunday in, at Allegiant Stadium in terms of the atmosphere in, in the building. Um, but I'll say this also, and you know, we're, we're always talking about what's, what's the demographic? What are you trying to hit? My seven-year-old daughter loved it. She doesn't watch football. She, wouldn't, she won't watch a football game with me. But she sat there and watched a lot of this uh, and enjoyed it. Even the flag football part of it, she was enjoying it. So I guess on that side of it, it's a hit. And it's nothing serious, right? No. And it wasn't before, but the, I think the tone and demeanor of the league with the Pro Bowl was off until yesterday and the whole week, right? Like they, 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 they were treating it like a game. It, certainly it, not a football game. And there's no way for the NFL to actually play that game and get it right with the same tenor that other leagues can do. Because of the injury status and the, the fact that you've got a lot of these players, Derek Carr, for instance, who ends up playing in this game, uh, who's about to either be traded or he's a free agent around March 15th. So I, I understand why guys hold out of actually doing it, right? Th- they did the right thing, even though it's not appointment viewing. But still, millions will watch this. And my guess is, Chad, they, they hit another home run with what they're doing. I like the side things more than I did the actual game. Yeah, um, I, I like the gridiron gauntlet. The yeah, obstacle course with the, the relays. Um, I thought the, the, the best catch 
was cool, the catch contest. It's their version of the dunk competition. Which is perfect. Uh, when you get the mascots involved, it reminded me of the old school dunk contest. And uh, aside from that, the, the specialists, I thought that was cool too with what they tried to do. I think they can build around that to where those are more interesting than the actual game itself. But it is what it is. Like uh, the, the criticism of it, the criticism for me came from the Pro Bowl with tackling when there's no reason to actually implement that whatsoever. And, you know, yesterday was basically the same type of product. And I look at the other big surprise, the stadium in Vegas. That I don't know how many freebies they handed out, but, man, I, I was surprised to see so many people in the upper yeah, deck. Yeah, it was – that to and, me, that was the strangest part was just uh, the whole aesthetic of the fans being a part of it. It was just weird. It was a weird – live event to go to i the, think and the, i wasn't even there how right <laughs> and how, i'm complaining about it. how about uh how upset peyton was at the end of that game that of was that awesome. of that exhibition slash flag football that was game. awesome that look this is why you know we we love to to praise brady uh for his level of detail and everything and how uh, mad he would get <laughs> or just how crazy he'd be about something peyton manning showed off why he is a hall of famer uh in many ways at the end of that game he was pissed <laughs> On that last yeah. play. And here's the thing. He's dead on right. You're not allowed to run the ball. You have to throw the ball in some way forward when you're inside the 10. They, <laughs> so by the letter of the law, you can't take a knee. I don't know. I, like, it, the they, game, look, the game was over. All they did was throw Cousins it. was yelling at him saying, he told me he could take a knee. Yeah. And he's pointing at the ref. Yeah, no. that's Well, the ref was wrong is what I'm saying. Now, Kirk, I'm not saying Kirk Cousins is wrong because he asked him. Yeah. And he said to do it. But it was hilarious when Peyton went storming out on the field because their only chance was a, an interception. Well, the difference... Right, that was the only chance to, to get back in the game or to have a chance to win it. And if, for those that say, oh, it doesn't matter, I guess for the majority of those players, it definitely doesn't based on the price. But uh, the difference in that was could have been $42,000. The losing players each get forty two grand for appearing in the game. The winners get 84000 And so there's a big gap there. What's surprising to me, the losers of the Super Bowl, individual players, based on the CBA, they get $82,000 for the game. That's two grand less than the winners of that flag football game. Put that in perspective. The teams and players that will be participating, the loser, either the Chiefs or the Eagles, individually, they're getting eighty-two grand. It's a great price for many of us listening, right? I'm raising my hand here. Um, but the, the Pro Bowl pays out more to the winning team from the flag football game than the loser from the Super Bowl. So a individually, a couple of stray observations. Um, the the gridiron gauntlet was cool. Brian Burns looked like it was CGI. His performance in that when he went up against Miles Garrett, mm -hmm. the going over the barrier and then underneath the table over and over again, it yep. looked like a movie was sped up, <laughs> and he was jumping over it like a ninja. It was incredible to see his athleticism. Another one was. Kirk Herbstreet, uh, you can play a different note. That was very odd that you just played that like it was the Saturday night college football game of the week or Amazon Prime game. He was Kirk Herbstreet, but Hutton, I felt like I was watching yeah, an actual yeah. game. And that's that's the issue I had with the actual game from last year and previous well, years. Well, Pat McAfee's your play-by-play -play guy. So clearly, hey, you know, that this is something different. Right. And this you don't have fun. NFL coaches can, on the sideline. You side can line. joke. Yeah. This doesn't have to be like total straight man. <laughs> Boy, the athleticism on this play. You really want to just get in front of the, the the defensive player here and shadow them because you can't use your hands. And I'm thinking, dude, it's a flag football game. Yeah. Like lighten up a little bit. 
on, no. on that. I, I thought that was it was he was fine. I just thought it was odd that it was like he played it straight down the middle. In terms yeah, he of, showed of up the not broadcast. knowing how to play it, really. You know, that's the yeah. way it came across. Matt McAfee was was funny because it was a mix of like I'm calling play by play, but also he's like, you know, that this is an expert flag football play we're witnessing right here. You could tell when there was sarcasm about what was going on. Um, so I enjoyed it though. Josh Jacobs didn't. He uh, running back for the the Raiders. Totally different response not, than what I had to this event. <laughs> not not a fan uh, based on his quote. This bleep is stupid uh, on the new Pro Bowl format. The old Probo f- uh, format with how they treated it, it's the same payout, by the way. Uh, that part was stupid. Um, at least with this, they're admitting up front, like, you know, we're, we're here to have fun, and it's more about the individual players and their personality than it is the result, no matter what Peyton may think on, on, the, uh, on the other sideline. Um, Peyton also did not want to lose to his brother, uh, Eli, was a, was a big part of that. I think there was some sibling rivalry that spilled over that we saw coming out in the end. Um, I, I know why Josh Jacobs thought it was stupid also because he was given the spotlight in Vegas with Derek Carr mm-hmm. and their team sucked. <laughs> I'll say it like it is. That game three, that was by far the worst quarterbacking of the whole thing was from Derek Carr in front of what his a way to go fans. Out. Well, Peyton said, well, the plan is I'm going to feature Derek Carr. His, these home fans will maybe never see him again. And then Josh Jacobs. We're going to have a heavy dose of those two. In this final game, in the in the nightcap, right, the biggest game to end it all, yeah. and I thought Carr was terrible. Kirk Cousins, I mean, if there was a separate flag football league, the Hall of Fame, that guy may be Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> Hall of Fame, uh, he was incredible. I mean, he was zipping that thing in there. He well, was terrific. A fifty-yard field would be perfect for Kirk Cousins. It, it, absolutely, like this guy, he's Brady. He's Brady of flag football. <laughs> That's what I thought watching Kirk Cousins. He is the Tom Brady of flag football. Um, so there were other players there. Darren Waller was one of them. He was on a, a portion of the radio broadcast up in the booth and then went down to the field. And uh, he, he was showing off a new head tattoo in the booth. You see this, Chad, the new designs? Um, this, uh, number one, it looks painful, right? Um, number two, it's, uh, it's something that you don't even have to show off. You're, you're going to be seen even if you don't want to be seen. With the what looks like an angel and then a, a bird on the other side of this, yeah, I I don't understand why you'd want to make your head above his ear a on conversation side. piece, yeah, right. Like every time I walk into a room, this is what we're talking about now. You go to a cocktail party, you go to someone's Unless house, you want to wear dinner, a hat, you go to a game night, and you're walking in with that. It's like okay, we're gonna have to talk about this angel <laughs> that's dipping down to pick up an eagle on the side of your skull. Everywhere you go, you grow his hair out, I guess, and cover up quite a bit of it also. But yeah, interesting decision. One other interesting call in that game. Pete Davidson served no point. I don't, it's like his agent told him he had to be there and he took money to be there. He was on the sideline with a coffee. I mean, he was like the captain. I only captain. saw him one time. When he was, I was the honorary in. captain. Okay. So he was just, hanging. it was Snoop on one side, him on the other. But every time I saw him, He's not talking to anyone, just sipping coffee. It was weird. And he wasn't I mean, particularly funny either. Well, th- he had done that before, right, with some of the other events he's, he's appeared in or at, where he's like, I don't really know why I'm here, but I'm here. Uh, one of them was like a, a UFC event or something or slap fight or something. Well, Snoop was like mixing it up. You know, he was on the sideline with Peyton. He was in the huddle talking to guys. Yeah, yeah. He was being a, you know, you're himself. paid to be an honorary captain. 
not to sit in the back and sip coffee, sip a latte the entire time. I, I it, it bothered you and me. I though have been with Pete Davidson. He's very awkward it, in person it socially. Me. It bothered me. Like if you're going to be announced as a part of this, yeah, be on. Either don't show or be on. Like, I, I agree. You're a performer. You know, make this, me laugh, clown type thing. <laughs> yeah, this gets him there though. I don't. He just needs to be on camera now. All of a sudden, he's a Kardashian. It was. Um, it was something. Robert Griffin III, I think, interviewed him at one point. And he said something like, you know, you're known for outkicking your coverage <laughs> to Pete Davidson. And he's like, oh, well, okay. All right, yeah, we're going there. And then he just answered some other question. Uh, coming up, we've got uh, Dan Dockich. Real quick, today Sean Payton introduced as the new Broncos head coach. In the presser, one of the things he said was, Russell Wilson will no longer be allowed to have his personal coaches in the building like last season. Quote, that's not going to take place here, end quote. There is a new uh, sheriff, in, sheriff town? in town, and it's not Russell Wilson who apparently ran everything internally with how he wanted the, the demeanor to go. Now it's Sean Payton. Well, hey, he begged for it. He asked for it. He yeah. wanted Sean Payton. You got him. It di- that's right. It you didn't go his way. So New rules now. Yeah. Uh, Jim Beheim wants old rules when it comes to NIL. It's, I'm not surprised that he feels this way with the state of college basketball and how it's changed everything. It's who he's naming in this quote <laughs> that is so surprising. So Jim Beheim on the state of college basketball to ESPN this weekend, quote, this is an awful place we're in in college basketball. Pittsburgh bought a team. Okay, fine. My donor talks about it, but he doesn't give anyone money. Nothing. Not one guy. Our guys make like $20,000. Wake Forest bought a team. Miami bought a team. It's like, really, this is where we are? That's really where we are? It's only going to get worse. And then he added, Jim Behan, it's crazy. That's why those guys got out, and that's why Jay Wright got out. Mike Krzyzewski got out. And it's the reason they got out. The transfer portal and everything is nuts. It really is. That from Jim Behan. I'm not surprised by this. You know, the old school coach mentality, not embracing or not wanting to see the direction we're headed in. It's the fact that he's mentioning Pitt and he's specifically mentioning Miami, like uh, Wake Forest. What? Yeah, Miami's oh, really good, but, but of all the other the, ones, but of all kind of the kind like, of punching down basketball options. Yeah, you know what I mean. That's to, where to you're complain heading about. That's where you're going to point to. That yeah. that part was weird. It 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 bothered me too because it was almost like you know Syracuse was you know not a blue blood, but they were the upper echelon of college basketball. Yes. Year in, year out, as a Northeast power. And it felt like he was sort of punching down to say, I mean, if Wake Forest, of all people, is going to buy a team of transfers or Pitt, I mean, it was very not only accusatory, but also condescending about those programs, I thought, for a guy who sucked the last two years. And his teams are terrible right now at Syracuse. I loved what um, Brandon Knight, former Pittsburgh Panther point guard, now an assistant at Rutgers. He tweeted this about Bayheim's comments. This sounds like sour grapes. Next time Bayheim, next time ask Bayheim how many teams he bought before NIL was legal. Don't throw stones from a glass house. Remember, you've been coaching for a lot of years, and a lot of us know who got paid. Whoa. Let's pick up there when we come back. Dan Dockers is going to move to uh, – he's coming up in 45 minutes. Something came up on his schedule. And we will pick up there and, and also have a conversation about – I'm sure about, Dan will have a response to that, oh, too. Oh, no doubt. With this pit uh, point guard making those comments. No, no doubt. And we'll, we'll, we'll pick up there, take a layer deeper. 
But also, the, the, Aaron Torres says he has turned over a hornet's nest. Has he really? Because, again, it, it, to me, it's about who he's mentioning, not what he's talking about. That's next on Outkick 360. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Coming up, we'll discuss Aaron Rodgers and the public campaign that's already started. First, though. Chad, let's pick up as Outkick 360 rolls on from 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine with uh, the Bayheim comments on name, image, likeness, pay for play, um, transfer portal, all of it. And again, I, I found it peculiar. Like, had he just randomly said this and it doesn't mention anyone but your typical programs, I'm probably not batting an eye at it, honestly. Yeah. But the fact that it's Wake Forest, Miami, and Pitt that he's mentioning. Aaron Torres from Fox Sports tends to agree with us as well. Bayheim officially kicked over a hornet's nest last night. He's talking about this past weekend. A lot of people have had a lot of dirt for a long time, decades really, and have kept their mouths shut. There's blood in the water, and I don't think people will stay quiet much longer. And he's referencing, of course, uh, all of the, the behind-the-scenes things with Bayheim and allegations that will certainly be flying around or have been, now he's opening the door and he's opened a target for them to respond. And I, this, this, to me, is the, the storyline to follow, more than it is these players who are jumping around because they're getting paid to do so. Yeah, and he, it's not like he, you know, not just in program, but in coaching stature. I mean, there's some mm-hmm. good coaches, but it's not like he swung at some big, real heavyweights here. We're talking about Jeff Capel, at Pitt, Steve Forbes at Wake Forest, Jim Laranega at Miami. All three good coaches. But I guess my point is, what level of dirty are those guys willing to get? Right? Like, if you called down the monster, he's, he's well, praising Mike Krzyzewski and Jay Wright for stepping away, in part because of NIL. But if, if he goes after another big dog in, in college coaching, John Calipari, let's say, um, Bill Self at Kansas – he didn't go after those guys right? and say, boy, they're using NIL and look at Kentucky's roster and how do you think they kept Oscar Shibwe from going pro? I mean, it, they did it legally is how they did it, it to, to, in response to Jim Beheim, This is something you can do now is pay for name, image, and likeness. So I, I just – it was a very, very interesting choice by Beheim to go target those programs, those coaches. And this is all happening when – Syracuse is in a real free right. fall. And so it, punching down, yes. But this for this season, punching on the same plane, the same level, right? Or actually punching up. Up. At, well, know, based yeah. on where they are. Well, based on the um, viewpoint, though, like that, you can tell where he's coming from on it and the competition level versus what he's currently working with. Yeah. Syracuse right now is seven and six. Not as bad as I thought. Seven and six in the ACC, uh, 14 and 10 overall. But. <clears throat> it's funny you mentioned Wake Forest, right? Mm-hmm. Wake Forest is also seven and six, and fifteen and nine overall. So right there uh, with Syracuse, Pittsburgh is nine and three, so three games better in conference. 
than where uh, than where Syracuse is right now, and Miami is nine and four in the ACC and eighteen and five. He's, so look, may, maybe he's saying you know these teams are now my competition, and I'm not looking at the blue bloods anymore, and they're beating me for that reason. But either way, I, I wouldn't have gone there if I were Jim Beheim. Well, he's seventy what seventy eight years old. He's in his forty seventh season, so. You know, the, we, the end was already near for his coaching career. And we've been talking about his retirement for over a decade. He acknowledged that in the presser, too. But um, reports are that he's coming back for another season next year at Syracuse. How many more and, kids does he have to coach? <laughs> he's got Buddy and Jimmy right now. Oh, um, well, I'm, I'm trying to find out. Like I, I'm trying to plan this out time-wise to see if there's uh, a graduation date coming up that maybe he's going to be done once his kid's done playing. He said, 95% of Syracuse people want me to coach. Why wouldn't they? As bad as we've been the last two years, we were fun to watch last year, and we're still fun to watch, and we're still competing. We just played three of the top teams in the country to a standstill. If you're getting beat by 20 by those teams, then you say, okay, we'll see. That's Jim Bayon. He goes, I know it's my choice. I can do whatever I want. I just don't know for sure. He's coming back. Yeah, he's he's going to want to go out a little bit better than this. That they're not a tournament team right now. I mean, maybe they can play their way in, um, but yeah, it's. Uh, I'm trying to find out the, the youngest Beheim. He's on the roster right now to see how much more time he has left uh, in the program because that could be a thing. We've seen coaches before want to coach until you know their their kid's gone. Right. Uh, so it sounds like he's back. Does not sound like Aaron Rodgers is going to be back in Green Bay. He uh, competed and helped win the Pro-Am this past weekend. And he was very open about the team that he heard the most uh, from fans that he was being asked about the most as he made the rounds around the course. It's fun to be here. It's such a great event. Fans are amazing. A lot of people yelling different teams they want me to come to next year, um, which has been fun because uh, we got a little uh, inside bet going about which team's going to have the most fans. But uh, it's been fun. I was going to say that for my last question, but you're leading me right into it. Is there maybe like a favorite color, favorite city that you might have on your mind for next season? I'm just going to say that the uh, predominant uh, team that we hear as we're walking is Raiders. A lot of a lot of Raider fans <laughs> are encouraging me. A lot of Devonte misses you comments. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So we're having some fun with it. It's a great, uh, you know, great event for the fans to come out here, and hopefully we can get back on the course. Awesome. If you want to break some news with us here on CBS, we would love for that to happen. But just think about it. You don't have to answer now. <laughs> talk- oh, he'll talk about it though. That's Amanda Renner, uh, a post round. With, uh, with Aaron Rodgers discussing uh, the teams that he heard the most. And he specifically mentioned Raiders. He's, this is now the public campaign uh, for an organization that hasn't even allowed Derek Carr to seek a trade yet. Certainly sounds like he's, he's interested in the Raiders also. I thought he was going to keep going to the interview and say, no, I'm happy to talk about it. What else do you want to talk yeah. about? I'll, I'll tell Devontae you what I Adams is, is happy as well, based on what he said. Yeah, um... Or the the uh, they're they're claiming that there are now like secret codes and like hand signals to each other or whatever. Well, I thought that interview that we just heard. I thought the question was going to be, "Oh, well, what team are you hearing from the most?" Because I was going to oh. ask, and instead she asked, "What's your favorite color?" Or kind of in a joking way, "What's your favorite city?" And he just went on and said, "Well, I'll tell you who we've been hearing from the most, and it's the Raiders from the, the Raiders f- from the golf fans, yeah, from there. the fans, yeah, not not team. I'm saying from fans there at the event." 
but she spun it in a way that, well, what's your favorite color or your favorite city? Like he's going to tell, you know, where he's going to end up. He has no say over it either. Yeah. But he talked about hearing from from Raiders fans. Everything Aaron Rodgers does to me is intentional. So I take that for what that's worth. I don't think he makes mistakes when he's talking into a microphone. So he's going to say what he wants to say. And if he's talking about that, then, you know, he knows that is a solid option for him to go and possibly win if sure. he's a Raider. And on, on Friday, he's at, he's at the tee box, and uh, he, people are asking him about the Niners. He goes, it's not going to be, I'm not going to be a 49er. He's already, you know, he knows that. So I'm sure in these meetings that they had the couple days after the season that some things were tossed around. And uh, this, to me, leads me to believe that the report about Green Bay only wanted to trade him within the AFC uh, I, I lean towards that being accurate based on the teams that we're hearing, Jets and Raiders, and the teams that he's even saying he's not going to, that are quarterback needy all of a sudden, including the Niners, who, if Tom Brady were still uh, unretired, we would be naming him as a logical choice and landing spot for them. So um, get ready for the offseason of Aaron Rodgers. It, it ends sooner rather than later. It's not going to go until June or whatever like we've seen in the past because because of the trades that will happen prior to the draft. And a lot of these trades also will be dictated by the new league year on March 15th when contracts lock in for certain guys on other rosters that Green Bay may involve in the trade. Don't know. But there is at least some deadline from the team's end of things to get the ball rolling on this. Uh, once Aaron Rodgers is locked into the said team, and it sounds like it's it's Vegas. I wonder what kind of – and again, I know the, the whole NFC thing with the Packers, but just in general, how locked in are the 49ers to Trey Lance in terms of not moving him at all or him not being a negotiating he, point for, for another team? Based on what they gave up, it, to me it's tough to just trade him away for like a third-round pick now. Yeah, well, I, I'm, I'm saying that because the Packers – for instance, if you like Trey Lance at all, but you you can't trade whatever San Fran would need because the guy's coming off a broken ankle. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm, it, I'm, I'm talking about a trade package including Trey Lance to get Aaron Rodgers. That's what I'm, that's what I'm saying. I would I would want picks in return, not Trey Lance, based on his. But the only team that's really going to know about his status is San 49ers. Fran. And if San Fran is already willing to part ways with him, then you know it's bad. Two years after the draft and one year after being named the starter. Um, yeah, there's some uncertainty there for sure. And also, like, wh where is Jordan Love in all this for Green Bay? That's a name you never hear. Never. I hear more about Trey Lance yes. everywhere than, than Jordan Love. That's not good. I'm going to go ahead and read into I, that and say that's not good news because I, I, I don't know that the Packers are just dying to get him out there. No, I, I don't think they could. Uh, Tiki Barber says that Daniel Jones will be the best quarterback in the NFC East. Speaking of names that we didn't talk about until this year, that's there's no way that we would have uh, jumped ahead 12 months and said that Daniel Jones is going to win everyone over. New head coach, uh, Barkley's coming off injury. They're trying to revamp their offensive line. It's hard to name their wide receiving core. And here's Daniel Jones with an opportunity to cash in with Brian Dayball after one year together. Look, I just in general, I don't care what former players of a team that are attached to a team when they give an opinion that's not surprising. <laughs> hey, the quarterback of my Giants 
is going to be the best quarterback in the NFC. Don't care. The real story would have been if Brian Westbrook, for instance, said a former Eagles running back that Daniel Jones is better than Jalen Hurts. Now, that's that's a story. That's a headline. Now, the debate that this could spark of Daniel Jones versus Jalen Hurts versus Dak Prescott versus whatever the heck, Taylor Heineke, or whatever the commanders are going to trot out there. Yeah, that's that's interesting to me, but Daniel Jones had a nice season, Hutton. Jalen Hurts is the best quarterback in that division right now. If I'm drafting, I'm drafting him over Dak and Daniel Jones. So I think where he's coming from is he's saying, and I, I agree with you, he's saying the talent around Hurts compared to the talent around Jones, and when you compare what Jones did this year with Dayball, it spoke more to the player than the roster. And that's the, I don't buy, I think Hertz has done a great job. The resume speaks for itself. They've lost one game with him as the starter. But, man, they have an all-star roster around at every, at every position group. And I think that's kind of the point is the Giants came out of nowhere after winning four games. And they were the talk of the, not just the city of New York, but the talk of the league for a long time. And in large part because Jones didn't turn the football over and he did a nice job this past year. He's going to get paid. I still take Hurts over him. The, the real debate, though, is do you take Prescott over him at this point? Yeah, Prescott's I, I getting think that's... You. So, it, so he's about where you would expect him to be, but the, you know, there's not, as, not nearly as much doubt creeping in with him as we had a year ago. There is so much more meat on the bone, so much more evidence to point to that Given the system and the fit with the coach, things can get a lot better around him, and he's only going to improve based on that. Well, and that's, that's to me, the Daniel Jones question. Year two now under Brian Dayball, uh, is Mike Kafka back, or does he get one of these remaining jobs? Right. But if he has a, a second year, he, he has not had any luck in terms of coaching and coordinators in his time up until this year. And he looks pretty good under a good, competent, offensive-minded head coach and in he, Brian Dayball. He had so, 55 combined turnovers his first year, and they were trying to let it rip. And Dayball came in and said, we want to do that with him. Well, can he sustain or get better? I think he's yeah. going to get better Yeah, under I mean, Dayball I, in year two. So based if on that's the, offense, the case, yes. if he gets better, I would take him over Dak Prescott. Right now, I'm probably giving slight edge to Dak. Yeah, I agree with and you. And Jalen Hurts one, Dak two, Jones three. But given a second year... With that continuity, mm-hmm. with Dayball and Kafka, who's to say he's not going to be better? Kevin Steele is back with Nick Saban at Alabama, the Miami defensive coordinator, joining... No idea he was in Miami, by the way. The Crimson Tide. So I saw the story. No idea. Kevin guy's Steele been has been around, man. Everywhere. This is his, what, third stop with Alabama? Fourth? I think it's his fourth time on Nick Saban's staff. Staff, Okay. Different times as coordinator or position coach, but fourth time on staff. And back with Saban yet again. And, I mean, this this doesn't feel like the move to join Saban and then get a, a step up somewhere, right? I don't see the trampoline effect the way that we would see with, like, Kiffin or Sarkeesian. You agree with that? And given that I also look at this and think there's no coincidence that Jeremy Pruitt was floated out there as the guy. Yep. Pruitt was also, I mean, if you go back to the interviews with Tennessee, Kevin Steele was a finalist for that job that Pruitt received. So I, I just view this as Saban just going down that same 
path to get a guy that he he knows, respects, and certainly is hiring someone that knows exactly the expectation for what he's bringing in after potentially, I, I haven't seen this, but it was rumored that he wanted to go with Pruitt, but Pruitt's got all the stuff with the NCAA. Yeah, look, Pruitt would be the better hire based on recent track record as Saban's defensive coordinator. Pruitt, though, is poisoned with yeah. the NCAA right now, so that wasn't going to happen. Kevin Steele, in his career, uh, he played at Furman in Tennessee. Then he coached at Tennessee. Here, here's everywhere he's been. Okay. You ready? <laughs> oh, yeah. um, New Mexico State, Oklahoma State, back to Tennessee, Nebraska, Carolina Panthers, Baylor as head coach for three years, Florida State, Alabama as defensive coordinator in 07, Alabama as coordinator slash inside linebackers coach in 08, Clemson, back to Alabama as director of player personnel. Then he got upgraded to linebacker coach the next year. We're now up to 2014. He keeps going. LSU as defensive coordinator linebacker coach, 2015, one year only. 2016 to 20, Auburn defensive coordinator. 2020, Auburn interim head coach. 2021, remember, he got hired and he was a short-time interim head coach at Tennessee That's when right. Pruitt got fired. Yeah. Then Miami, defensive coordinator, now back to Alabama under Nick Saban. That is a track record. And in all that time, his head coaching record is 9-37 and in his four years at Baylor when he was a head coach. But a career assistant other than that. He's 64 years old. I thought he'd be older. I mean, based on that resume, yeah, yeah. I mean, he could he could be defensive coordinator for Saban for a while if he wanted. But also, I mean, also consider that he's there with Cristobal. You know, like that's I keep like his connections throughout college. He's still leaving to go back to his. He's very highly thought of. Yes, he's a guy a lot of people like and respect in in all different coaching trees. And he's touched and been a part of. Without a doubt, he wanted to get back to the SEC. Like yeah. that's the other that's the other move he's making here. Well, I mean, you know, he's I'm just looking through the list. He has coached for Bobby Bowden and Tom Osborne and uh Johnny Majors and Philip Fulmer and Nick Saban and he's been a lot of <laughs> cool places in terms of guys he's learned under or that have touched his career throughout the throughout his stop. So, uh, again, a very highly decorated assistant coach makes a ton of sense for Nick Saban. He has the familiarity He's been there before. And if it's not Jeremy Pruitt, this, I think, is probably the next best route they could have gone. Chad, the, the Leah Thomas connections, they just... they just It's like Kevin Bacon. Always like presents themselves. seven degrees of separation. There's always a Leah Thomas connection. Story at OutKick. Uh, Bethany Hamilton, who's a, a surfer, she posted a video online saying she's not going to compete against biological males at the World Surf League because they passed a new rule allowing transgender competitors in the women's division. The WSL, they say they're just following Olympic guidelines. But Hamilton, um, she is in the, the national spotlight because of a shark attack. She lost her left arm. This happened when she was 14 years old. Um, but despite that, she has continued to have a stellar surfing career. She's a pro at this. But she says, as a pro, she's not going to compete against biological males. So is this the inspiration of the movie Soul Surfer? Isn't her story the yeah, Soul Surfer I, story? Davey, a, I can't see you behind that. Yeah, I think yes, there was, okay. yes. Um, yeah, so my, I, I know that because my niece in Nebraska loved this movie when she was a little girl. Would watch Soul Surfer all the time, and I saw the picture and saw the name, and I'm like, I think that's the same girl uh, with the shark attack. Here's the deal. 
we got to get to a place where it, she doesn't feel like she's being brave to state the obvious. Right. Uh, and I'm not saying she's wrong, but like this should not be a, a courageous stance to say, yeah, I'm not going to compete against men. I've competed against women. And the vast majority Every of people aspect agree of my with life. their stance here. So I'm not going to now revert to competing against biological men in a competition. This should not be a bold or courageous stance. This should just be fact. So hopefully we can evolve. This is, this is uh, here's what progress is. Let's progress back to the point where we all recognize in athletics, men compete against men and women compete against women. And then that's where we're going to be really progressive. Then we can just get back to saying, oh, what this young athlete is saying is that, you know, I'm not going to compete against a man. That's not brave. That's fact. That's truth. That's what we should be doing. Let's get back to that. That's my stance. We have, let's see, Dan Dockage coming up in about 20 minutes. And also in hour number two, Jeff Fisher will join us in studio. A lot to discuss there. He'll get, he'll help us dissect the coaching moves that have been made, the head coaching hires that have been made across the NFL, and then the two openings that remain with the Colts and Cardinals. And we'll also preview the upcoming Super Bowl matchups. When we come back, though, a classic getting a reboot. That's next on Outkick 360. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. I probably should have asked this earlier, but how much cash do you have on you? Did you not bring enough money to cover this game? I brought like 80 minus 60. Ow, 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 ow. You ready? Four ready. What's up with your boy? He's almost done. I'm like the P.T. Anderson of basketball psychological warfare. Who is P.T. Anderson? Our greatest living director. Spike Lee is our greatest living director. Spike Lee's not even a good Knicks fan. I knew this was a mistake. Waited on. The reboot of White Men Can't Jump. Chad, your thoughts? Um, no one was asking for this. <laughs> <laughs> the original is a cinematic classic. Woody Harrelson yeah. and uh, Wesley Snipes. And um, wrote... Uh, Oh, gosh, I'm blanking on her name now. Uh, Lopez? Rosie? Rosie Perez. Thank you. I'm watching another show right now with her in it, Your Honor, with Brian Cranston from Breaking Bad. That's really good. Um, yeah, look, it, it, there are times that you can, like, you know, tinker with something from uh, a past era, mm -hmm. 80s or 90s, yeah. and turn it into something that's relevant in today's climate, in today's entertainment world. There are other times where if you, if you got to go to Jack Harlow, to play the part of Woody Harrelson. That, that's a pretty big step down. So I don't know that you need to mess with that in terms of White Men Can't Jump. I love the original movie. That trailer wasn't terrible. Uh, I thought it was okay. Way better than 80 for Brady, yeah. which we'll get into later. So I thought it looked okay. It looked uh, nice and clean and polished and well-produced and all that. Jack Harlow wasn't awful in the trailer. But I still watch the trailer and immediately think, why are we doing this? Are we adding something to it? Is there a different element to this one? Is it a shot-for-shot -shot remake? Because they do have the same subway stop or whatever they're getting off of at one point going down the stairs in this movie. So I guess my big question, Hutton, is why? 
I just hope it's, I mean, I hope it's, it's better than what Space Jam 2 apparently was. You yeah. know, like there was, again, like I, you're tying in the star with the Space Jam, you know, the, the, the catalog. I get it. But I don't hear anyone talking about that the way we talked about the, the original, right? And this, no, you're right, no one's asking for this. I used to watch this on VHS all the time as a kid. Uh, I, I loved this movie, the, the original. Now, it, when I first saw that they were going to remake or reboot White Men Can't Jump, I thought, okay, it's going to be a series. Like, did, right, yeah. you expand it out, right? It's a yeah. whole universe. Like, you're going to have the, the hustler that comes to L.A. and is hustling people in basketball games, but there's got to be, like, a life behind it. There's got to be a, more of a backstory. There's got to be a cast of characters. Yeah, like an and one tour. Well, like a cast of characters <laughs> playing pickup ball, you know, or whatever, and it's a show. Yeah. That, that would be my pitch if I were doing it. But they actually came in and said, no, we just want to do White Men Can't Jump in 90 minutes again. One movie. I, I don't. I don't get that. It's like they just. I'd be more excited about Jack show. Harlow on the on their on yeah, their side. Like this is Jack Harlow's big break, right? We're, we're gonna we're gonna well. break. This is the eight mile for Jack Harlow. <laughs> like when Eminem said, you know, I'm gonna do a movie, but it's Except gonna be it's a drama. About, yeah, and, it's and gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna play a white. I'm, it's gonna be loosely autobiographical, but I'm gonna play a white rapper named B Rabbit then that's where they wanted to go with this. Jack Harlow, who grew up in Kentucky, I'm guessing playing basketball. I, I, can, I, I can play basketball, so now I'm going to do this. Chad, um, was basketball played between Tennessee and Auburn this weekend? Is that what you would call that? Uh, rugby, maybe. Uh, it felt like, yeah. It was, it was a physical scrum. It was tough to watch. Game that was in the final. Tennessee won. They hung on to win. Game was in the 40s. Played in the 40s. 46-43. I want to say it's like the lowest scoring SEC game since 1985. I think I read that. Between two teams in the SEC. 46-43 finals. 23-19 at halftime. Tennessee was down 8 nothing and down 10-2. They played with the women's basketball? I thought <laughs> that would have been boy, wouldn't that have been a, a big turn. Then at the end, Rick Barnes said, oh, I got the problem. We played with a girls ball the, the entire first time. Half, yeah. um, it was tough to watch. Neither team got great looks. Like, it was good defense throughout the game, but it was also every open shot or remotely open shot, nothing was going to fall for either team. You did watch a great game between Duke and Carolina. Yeah. It lived up to the expectation. I, I went back and watched the highlights of this. I was not expecting this to be what they were trying to make it out to. It, it always is, though, between these two and Tobacco Road. And that was the first time in the history of that series that the two coaches in the series played in the rivalry. Head-to-head. Isn't that crazy? They've never had, until now, John Shire versus Hubert Davis, yeah. two men who played head-to-head. Head. Well, you had 40 years of, you know, yeah. close to it, of, uh, okay. of, of, of Coach Krzyzewski, who played at Army, so that's a big part of it. Um, Derek Lively was terrific. He had four points, but he had 18 rebounds, and I think, or uh, 14 rebounds and eight blocks. The blocks, yeah. He affected the game in a huge way. For Duke, I thought he was great. Five-star freshman, big man. Um, really entertaining game. I watched most of the second half of that one. Always a fun one to watch. But even when those two teams aren't ranked, there's still great drama down the stretch. And the, Cameron Indoor, too. Yeah. Great. And that's, you know, that is the first marquee win for John Shire. I don't care if Carolina's not ranked. They were preseason number one. Yeah. And he won the Tobacco so Road what, rivalry. So what has happened with Carolina? 
to it, fall like this. It's hard to it's hard not to fall to Duke, but to fall the way they they have over the last few months. They haven't had terrible injuries. Baycott plays. Caleb Love, who was the star of the NCAA tournament a year ago, he's playing. I, I don't know. I went and watched uh, over the weekend. Knock at the cabin. Oh yeah, solid. The new M Night Shyamalan movie. I, I want to watch this. Uh, yeah, solid solid job yet again by him. I would I would go see that over eighty for Brady. I nearly sent you and Davey a, a a photo of eighty for Brady outside the theater because there were actually people that went and saw this. Um, and we need to check the box to, office to on it, that to make it uh, as if I was going into that theater. You know? Yeah. I held back though. I didn't want the the ridicule of of Withrow. A little bit later in the show, I didn't want to see Matt in there. I got a uh, well, or Alejandro may have flown in. He may, <laughs> he may he loves he loves the damn movie so much he may be going to every city in America to watch it um, to make sure he pumps up the the box office everywhere. Uh, my I got a review from my aunt. We'll get into later uh, for her birthday. Her request, Hutton, eighty for Brady in theaters. So. Yeah. She gave me a review. My guess is it's, it's glowing. Uh, I can't wait to hear the specifics of this. Coming up in about 20 minutes, Jeff Fisher will join us in studio here at 6th and Peabody. We'll talk uh, with uh, the former NFL and USFL head coach about the decision this past week that came out with him not coaching the USFL this upcoming season and what's in store on the horizon. Plus, his thoughts on the head coaching hires across the NFL and two to be made, including the Cardinals who have narrowed it down to three coaches, Brian Flores, Lou Anarumo, and Mike Kafka with Monty Ossenfort, the new general manager there. All of that and more. We lead off, though, with Dan Dockich next on Outkick 360.